The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Chuck, you did it, man. You called last week in the Forbes. You called for the firing of Urban Meyer, uh, and they listened. They listened. It had nothing to do with the fact that uh, it was revealed that Urban Meyer was going around kicking players, uh, which is <laughs> freaking ludicrous. But, uh, but yeah, they listened to you, man. How does that feel? Being- oh, it feels good. You know, to finally for them to have a common sense moment to listen to someone. Uh, as smart and wonderful as me. One of the uh, only people who like had the insight too to realize that Urban Meyer, like this is yeah, not a known thing that he's a terrible person. Yeah, I was I was first. You know, it's not like thousands of people have said it before yeah. or that they were like investigations about, you know, <laughs> what Urban Meyer has done at Florida or Ohio State or in his personal life. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel good to be on the cutting edge of this take. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we do here at the counter. We we're, we're ahead of the pack. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about urban. We're going to get into Charles latest four verts, which has some juicy stuff. I cannot wait to have the, uh, the discussion about the Ravens. Uh, I'm a little, I'm a little sad that we have to talk about the Falcons in such a, such a negative way. Cause I know that really weighs on you and it's, you know, it's Christmas week. I wish we could just have fun, but. Uh, that'll be interesting. So we're gonna we're gonna dig in on all that. Uh, it'll be be a good show. You know, we're gonna keep it short. Quite frankly, like we we've procrastinated. We have to go uh, go do some more shopping. Maybe you have to go do more more shopping. So uh, and the football, it's actually week. What are, what is it? Week fourteen. It's still going. Uh, there's games tonight. Uh, so. Who knows how the rest of the NFL season is even going to unfold? The NHL is on a pause. The NBA just keeps like signing dudes that I thought left the league like four years ago. Like every day, just some guy who I thought wasn't playing basketball anymore just appears on an NBA roster. That's how they're handling the pandemic. So it's uh, it's a little bit of a mess. Um, but we will, uh, we'll you know, we'll dig into some stuff. But Chuck, what what happens next for? The, the Jags, you when you, when you originally wrote it, you talked about uh, a a particular coach, which I still, you know, I, he's still the guy I think that they should want. Um, but uh, where, you know, from what you're gathering watching this, and I know you have a good friend who covers the team, like what's going to happen with this franchise? Because we all this is a story that matters to all of us because Trevor Lawrence is there. Right. And like, yeah. And I, I this guy do well. As bad as, you know, this season has gone for Trevor Lawrence, I still think you've seen enough where you can still feel very excited about uh, his future. Like, when you talk about, like, the highs that he's had this year, it looks as good as any quarterback in the league. But, unfortunately, you know, when you're in in the situation that he's in, I don't think that uh, many quarterbacks are going to thrive in that, much less of a rookie quarterback. Uh, So, you know, I still think that Byron Leftwich makes – uh, a ton of sense uh, for the Jaguars job. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that that's something Byron himself is also interested, just, you know, considering uh, his ties to the team as a former first round pick and just the fact that uh, they have Trevor Lawrence. And, and that's a pretty good opportunity to have. Uh, but, you know, there, there's going to be guys that come on uh, throughout the offseason. I, I just guess that my worry with the Jaguars job is the same that it has been for the past few years, like is Shah Khan, like just ever going to make the right decision? Uh, and that doesn't really seem to be a thing that he's been interested in doing, <laughs> whether it's the, you know, signing off on a Blake Boros extension and having him get cut one year into that, 
and mishandling Jalen Ramsey to the point where he asked for a trade. Like you have one of the best defenses really literally in this, you know, decade of football with the 2017 Jaguars and uh, they fall apart like extremely fast after this. So, you know, it's like they take one step forward and 12 steps back for uh, the Jaguars. Now you have a chance to like actually put a good foot forward uh, with a good hire here. But, you know, they haven't (laughs) they haven't really done this before, like make the good hire. So we'll see what happens with uh, the Jaguars. But I think you can argue that this offseason for the Jaguars is probably like the most important in franchise history because, I mean, haven't been around all that long, and they certainly haven't had a prospect like Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. And now you've got the biggest problem out of the room, and it's time to really accentuate your biggest strength, which is having someone like Trevor Lawrence on the team. Is, is Shaq Khan's issue just like the typical rich guy thing where he thinks because he has a lot of money – uh, he like whatever he decides is de facto a good decision or what, why, why does he keep making these bad choices? I mean, <laughs> why does anyone make bad choices? I don't know. Sometimes, you know, you just, sometimes people just aren't that good at what they do. Uh, and I think that that's kind of the thing with Shad Khan. Uh, I mean, I think he obviously cares um, a lot about the Jaguars. I think he, he, I think he cares more than giving credit for because, you know, he's also involved with uh, Tottenham, the Spurs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in Europe. So I, I think that Shad does care about the Jaguars a lot. But, you know, sometimes people just, quite frankly, just don't know how to build a, a program or something that works. And I don't think that Shad Khan is a, a guy who, like, really gets football. You know, like, I think he has a lot of money and I think he wants the Jaguars to be good. But I don't think he knows how to get from point A the point B and also is pretty susceptible to people who are like quick to swindle him and take him on the wrong path. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's no reason if you really get football, you don't, you don't need to extend Blake Bortles, you know, like if you understand like what's actually going on there, you don't need to to make that move. There's not like Blake was any good that season either. They just had, you know, one of the best defenses we've ever seen. So, you know, I, I think Shad Khan struggles with like, all right, this happened. Now, what am I supposed to do next? And that's kind of why the Jaguars have been so bad for so long. Yeah. I mean, the Urban Meyer thing is like, he he won so much in college. Like, it's easy to see why if you owned a professional football team and you saw this guy tearing up college in your state for some, you know, he's, he's in your state for some of the years. Uh, like, I get why you look at that and think that uh, it's, it could work, uh, but there's just such a gigantic gulf between those two jobs. My uh, a friend of mine, Kevin Van Valkenburg, who writes for ESPN, you know, I think after the Urban stuff, because he he was sort of he did one of the uh, Urban like Urban is renewed piece pieces. I can't remember which, which which it was. Like even after Florida or after you know, like one of the pieces where it's like he learned his lessons, and he was like, I feel bad about that now. Like I feel really dumb uh, that I did that. And, uh, you know, I, too, was swindled by this guy who that's what he does. But, like, that's the skill of college football coaching in Mm -hmm. so many ways is, like, talking to people and convincing them of things because you're recruiting. Like, you're recruiting and you're getting boosters to give you money. Like, that's the job in so many ways of being a college football coach. Uh, And Kevin listed, like, he said, like, okay, in reflection of this, I want to I want to I want to try to point out what I think actually makes a good NFL coach. And it was just all these things like knowing how to use players, like being honest to players, like 
not playing games. Like it was just being a good football coach. Uh, and uh, like, we don't have, we didn't have much evidence that urban Meyer would be a bad football coach. Just like if you just gave him uh, a team that was equal to every other team, like whether he would be able to coach that team better than somebody else. Like we didn't even know. Cause he was always in these advantageous situations. Once he got to Florida, uh, you, you know, he just had, he was at one of the a big time school that allowed him to do that. Like, obviously he had to build his way up, but it'd been a long time since we could know that. And there was just there's such a gulf between what those two jobs are. Uh, and it's just like Khan just fell for the, he just fell for the idea that this guy would be able to, to do it, even though, you know, our site and many, many others pointed out all the red flags that would make that not really work at the NFL level. So, uh, yeah, man, I, 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 I get it right. I think another thing to learn from this Urban Meyer thing is he, I, I kind of want to go back and question, like, how much of a role did like, he have in, like, some of the success he had in college? or or Because right. obviously he was a good coach at college, but then, you know, when you get to the NFL level and you have to start answering to people, I mean, the, the head coach talks to reporters almost every single day uh, during the season. And, you know, they're asking him these questions – Okay, so you know you had a pivotal timeout here. What happened? He's like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, you know, you have <laughs> stuff with James Robinson. And he's deflecting blame. You know, how, how much of the stuff in the past? It just makes makes me wonder, like, how much of the stuff in the past was actually him playing a role in it, or him just being a guy who's like, well, we're just going to be a, as you know dirty as possible. We're just going to get these kids in here. We're going to give them some cash, uh, and we're just going to roll along with the best players when. You know, in the NFL, it, it's hard to just to be that loose of a cannon while still being checked in by the powers that be. So uh, I, I just kind of wonder, like, man, like, is, was he ever really this X and O's genius uh, back at Ohio State and Utah and Florida? Or was he a guy that just knew how to, you know, slip between the rule books to get the best players on campus? Right. Yeah. And like, that's the, the impossible thing with like Bowling Green in Utah, like like those are smaller schools that like, granted there's, there are definitely media members covering those teams and doing a good job, but it's not nearly the amount of people questioning an NFL coach and colleges restrict how much a coach has to go out and talk, how long they talk. Like the whole dynamic is so different. Like, and he developed that, that idea that he had some interesting scheme back at Bowling Green. Uh, he had Josh Harris at QB, and then like he went to Utah. Utah was in the Mountain West then. Like I, you know, it'd probably be worth it if we covered college sports to like take a really deep look at how he actually built those winning teams at those schools, and whether there was any evidence of real coaching genius, or as you are positing that he just was willing to do whatever it took to get. You know, because those places, if you bend the rules a little bit and get a little bit more talent, like that's going to go a, a long way. Uh, mm-hmm. Places like that. So, uh, yeah, Urban Meyer. What's or what's Urban Meyer going to do next? <laughs> Fox is going to put him on TV, right? Like, I don't know. know. I think they might have. I think even Fox might have to let this cool off a little bit <laughs> before they put him back on TV. Uh, I mean, even if you want to question like how much of the kicking story with Josh Lambeau was embellished or not. You can't just say, Oh, we're just going to put him back on TV. That's a, that's dumb. And I, I don't think that he'll be getting any, uh, code like jobs coming down anytime soon. Uh, uh I, I do think he'll find his way back at college coaching at some point, if that's something that he's interested in, but 
this year right now, I don't think so, unless he's really willing to stoop to like a, a pretty pretty low level of college football. Yeah. Oh man. All right, let's jump over to the Forverts. Uh keeping it keeping it sad here. The Falcons lost to the 49ers shows just how far they are. Yep. Uh yeah, man. This is this is just terrible. Yeah, we, this is a story we've been following ever since it became apparent that the the Falcons were going to draft uh Kyle Pitts, who's fantastic, but like you're making a choice there and you're you're deciding the direction of the the franchise and you're saying that you're going for one thing uh which is competing now trading away your best wide receiver sort of or i guess ridley's pretty good too but you know yeah we'll see what happens with that one of the best players in (laughs) the history of the the franchise is another sign that that sort of contradicted hey we're going for it but anyway this team was supposed to be at least pushing for a playoff and it's playoff spot it's not even close man yeah um but the thing, it, it's like, I I feel embarrassed because this whole time that we've, you know, we've been talking about the Falcons literally all season. You know, it's been, all right, well, they suck, but uh, they're here. Like, technically, they're here in the playoff race, uh, even though they have a point differential that would suggest that they should be, you know, picking near the top of the draft with, like, the Jets and the Jaguars and, you know, teams of that caliber. Uh but you know, mathematically, they they were still in the playoffs, and they had a chance to. Uh, I, I'm, if they beat the 49ers, they would have been the sixth seed in the NFC, which is huh. fairly hilarious considering uh, how bad they are. And you know, you get into that game, and as the game starts, I'm like, hey, like this is a game with stakes, like real playoff stakes. And you know, as much as I wish the Falcons had like a top draft pick, like if you're not going to be in that game anymore, which they aren't because they've won too many games. Uh, you know, let's screw it. Let's just try to make the playoffs. Let's see what happens. And I know that they will get waxed in the first round, but it, it would just be nice to see them play a game with stakes again uh, as a fan. And the game starts. They force a fumble on the opening kickoff, get the ball at the 10-yard line, don't score. Uh, then they the defense holds them, the 49ers to a three and out. They, they punt. They get the ball on the 50-yard line, don't score. And for the rest of the game, I mean, <laughs> you, you clearly saw uh, exactly how far away uh, the Falcons were. And I think the fact that, you know, you have this spot where you're on the 10-yard line and you can't score anything. Uh, you're on the 50-yard line and you don't you don't score. Maybe they got a field goal out of that drive uh, the sec- for the second drive. You know, it, it's just really bad. And then you see the, the 49ers, when they get the ball on offense, they might have well just been going against practice dummies. Like it was, they were just flying through uh, the line of scrimmage uh, on run plays. Debo Samuel, like when he wasn't matched up on AJ Terrell, was just literally running defensive backs and linebackers over. Uh, you know, they're getting mauled up front on offense, and you know, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, we're technically here as a quote unquote playoff team, but you know, you still see basically all the things that we're talking about uh, this past season kind of rearing their ugly head. Uh, you know, I think if there's only one thing good to take from this Falcon season for me, just after, you know, this is the most games I've watched since like 2017 this season, just because, you know, new coach just kind of want to see how it looks. I think if there's one solace to take away for me, at least, I, I think Matt Ryan has more tank than I thought. 
Um, just considering <laughs> what he's played with this year. I mean, Calvin Ridley's been out basically the entire season. Uh, Kyle Pitts, you know, he's, he's a, I think he's going to be a superstar, but you still see he's a rookie uh, at times. Like, you know, uh, that long catch that he almost had that was could have been the play of the year on Sunday, he kind of quit on the route. And if he just kept running, it might be like a 60, 70, 80-yard touchdown. Uh, but, you know, he still gives him a chance to make a play on the ball because he's just an absolute alien. So, you know, I think that uh, if there's yeah, there any, any solace to take from the season, Matt Ryan probably has a little bit more left in the tank than I thought. You know, maybe two, three more years, he can still be your starting quarterback. But when you play a team against the 49ers who's like actually a playoff caliber team, you see, oh, man, like our evaluation of this team in the offseason was right. You know, Matt Ryan can get you to a couple wins. Matt Ryan and Kyle Pitts can get you to a couple wins. But at the end of the day, they're still really, really far away from where they need to be. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they win fewer than six games next year, depending on how the offseason goes. Jeez, that would be brutal. It would be terrible. Yeah. This game for me really uh, solidified this idea that, I mean, first of all, I think Arthur Smith is just not, figured out how to run his own offense, right? Like he, you know, he came from Tennessee and had Derrick Henry and like, you know, so much revolved around the idea that they could run the ball the way they, that they did with, with Henry. Now we know like statistically, we know that there are studies showing that you don't actually need to run the ball to really set up play action like that. There's not an actual correlation there between how effective play action is and how effectively you run the ball. But it just whatever mix is not working for him. And on the other side of that, uh, we saw Jimmy Garoppolo play a really good football game and the lovely narrative emerge that ha- it happens like two, three times a year that like Garoppolo's severely undervalued. All the people who rip into him don't know what they're talking about. You know, like and there's probably some truth there, like we're uh, people uh, who, who've looked at Garoppolo and, and not loved what he's done as a quarterback, maybe are too harsh. Um, but this is just a guy who's so set up by his system um, that he's in such a good position to make the throws that he can make. He had, uh, this is according to Bed Baldwin's site, uh, he averaged 0.48 uh, EPA per play, which is really high. Uh, he also threw the ball well. Uh, he had an 11.8 completion perspective, com- completion percentage over expe- expected. But like, again, if you watch the film or you, you just go look at his pass chart, like he essentially can just throw the ball to certain, like if, if he has a window that Shanahan sets up for him and he just has to look there and has to make those throws, he's a very good quarterback. Mm-hmm. The problem with Jimmy Garoppolo is that he cannot like make, he cannot process beyond that which is what you really have to do to be a great quarterback. You have to be able to, to figure out beyond just one little area of the field that your coach is setting up guys to, to pop open. Uh, but Matt Ryan was, you know, like – and Garoppolo's uh, average depth of target was 5.7. Uh, Matt Ryan was 8.9. Uh, that's yeah. a huge spread. Like, So Matt Ryan's being asked to do more, and the offense is not functioning. You know, what I saw, the, the offense was just not functioning that well to really get him open. I mean, they it's don't. Rank. Yeah, I mean, they don't have you know, like having Russell Gage as your your you know main wide receiver is probably like not really where you want to be, right? Like, it, it, it's it's interesting how the offense looks a lot better when Russell Gage is your third wide receiver instead of your first wide receiver. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy how that goes. Uh, yeah, but like, the, the dude's going out there and you're throwing the Russell Gage 
Olamide Zacchaeus and Tajay Sharp are your top three like wide receivers. And honestly, on a good offense, none of these guys are starting. Uh, so, you know, maybe Russell Gage is like your wide receiver three or four, but, you know, these aren't guys that should be getting uh, a whole lot of targets. So, you know, it's just it's just a little frustrating that, you know, I am someone who tends to think that Matt Ryan's career uh, has been pretty underrated uh, right. since he was drafted. And then, you know, like w- what I just want to ask him, like, what did, what did you gain here? Like, what did you get out of this season that you didn't know before? Um Right. To me, it's, it's, it just kind of it's starting to feel like an entire waste of time. Like because it's fun to win these games against you know the crappy teams, but when you start to play games against you know the Patriots, the uh, the Cowboys, the Forty ers the Buccaneers, like you really see uh, how far away this team is. Even if they get you know some janky wins as the season closes, so you know they got the Lions on Sunday. Uh, they're going to wear their awesome throwback jersey, so they're probably going to lose again, uh, and then they get. Uh, the Bills and Saints to close the season. So, you know, I mean, at this point, I wouldn't really be surprised if they lost to the Lions. And uh, I personally, I think that going six and 11 instead of, you know, eight and nine or nine and eight is probably the best plan of action for this team. Yeah. What what does that prompt if uh, if they end up, you know, sliding into the offseason, if they're just sort of in a downward turn, like, where does that shift the focus? Like, what would you do if you were running the team and and that's how it ended? What would the well, move be in the offseason? I guess it wouldn't really change anything for me because I would hope to believe that I'm level-headed enough to know that even though we're 6-8, and eight, we still stink. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've had a pretty weak schedule uh, throughout the year. Like, it's not like they've been playing the juggernauts every single week. So uh, I, I don't think you should really feel good about where this team is, but you look at the quarterback class and to me, like if you weren't going to take a guy last year, there's definitely no reason to take someone this year in the first round. Right. Uh, Cause you know, I, I watched that Justin Fields performance last night and you know, got a little sad because he's really good. And I think the NFL and the Falcons really messed up on that evaluation. Like it's just a detour for a second. But like, if you, if you're telling me that Justin Fields is, can put on a performance like that with this Bears team. That's like, you know, like this got they've got like Allen Robinson has pretty much quit. Uh, the other receivers aren't very good. You're throwing like ten targets game. Darnell Mooney, the offensive line is banged up. You missing literally the entire secondary to the COVID and injuries, and you're gonna like. I mean, I know like obviously the they only scored nine points and the last touchdown came on the final play of the game. But if you just go back and like, just watch the performance, uh, the path to him being a good quarterback is so clear. Uh, and I just don't see that guy in this draft class. So, you know, I think you probably just one thing the Falcons have to do. And it just sounds so cliche is you just got to get more physical up front. I mean, you cannot, in the NFL, you have to fight back. Like you can't just let yourself get steamrolled every single play. So, you know, I would be trying to add as many guys to that front seven as I could. Uh, luckily, there's a lot of good, uh, you know, front seven talent in this draft. Or even if you want to dr- add offensive line talent, that's fine too. Because uh, basically, everyone except Jake Matthews and Chris Lindstrom needs to be replaced. Uh, and you know, this is going to take multiple off seasons to fix, but. You have a chance to get back in the game next year uh, if you have a good offseason just because, you know, hopefully you get Calvin Ridley back. I'm not sure if he's going to get traded in the offseason or what have you, but 
you know, you're two of Kyle Pitts, Matt Ryan can still play. And then you're going to have a couple pieces on defense like Grady, Jerry, and AJ Terrell. So it's not like hopeless, but I think you saw on Sunday, ooh, this team is not actually good. Yeah. Yeah. Pitts is going to explode next year. I mean, I think it'd be really yep. good. Uh, man, Justin Fields, like uh, to detour back to your detour. I, I mean, he's one of the best deep passers in the league right now right like there's there's uh Mahomes and Herbert and probably Russell Wilson are like in their a tier by themselves but then after that like Fields is right there like, he can yep. really throw the ball downfield which is mm-hmm. a much harder thing to to teach uh than like what yeah. needs to be fixed with feel like the stuff with fix like what needs to be fixed with Fields is the easy stuff and so like I, yeah I, I mean after watching these guys this season I feel like Fields is the best rookie quarterback, honestly. Um, yeah. Just in terms of, like, dude, if you put Fields in that Patriots situation, <laughs> come on, man. I, don't, I, 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 I really think that he's a, he's a special talent. And to me, it's like if you can't see it, you just, you just don't want to. That's yeah. kind of how I feel about it. Uh, yeah. It's uh, a possibility. Uh, how worried should the Cardinals be? Uh, after losing to the Lions, uh, um, your take is not super worried. It's not. It's not like scathing. It. It's just yeah. you should be embarrassed but not worried. Um, I mean, you lost to the Lions. They they're horrible. And not only did you lose, like you you kind of got shit off by right. the, uh, thirty to twelve. Uh, you were never really in the game, which is kind of bizarre because the Cardinals are a much better team than the Lions. And I think that if you play that game ten times, the Cardinals probably win that game ten more times. But uh, this time was not their day. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of the contending teams have had really bad losses this year. Um, Tampa Bay, they just got blanked by a Saints team. That's okay. Uh, not great. We've seen the Packers lose to the Vikings of all people. Uh, the Rams have had some embarrassing losses. I mean, the Rams lost uh, – no, not the Rams didn't lose to the uh, Jaguars, but uh, they did lose to uh, – they almost lost to the Lions earlier in the season. Like, you know, even good teams have moments where it's going to be tough for them. Uh, and, you know, it, it the biggest thing for the Cardinals isn't that you lost to the the Lions per se. It's just that you lost control of that number one seed, and that's going to be pretty tough uh, to get back because the Packers have a uh, – they have the tiebreaker over the Cardinals due to that game they played – uh, a few weeks ago. So, you know, I think that it's obviously disheartening to lose that game, but that shouldn't make you lose sight of the bigger picture here in that they're still definitely a Super Bowl contender. Uh, they're still really, really good. Like leading into last week, they're still one of the top teams in terms of uh, DVOA, in terms of point differential. They're sticks in the league plus 94 on the season. So, hey, you you had a bad game against um, – uh, against the Lions, but the week before that, you were competing with the Rams on a pretty high level. So eh, you got to take the lumps when they come. Everyone has a bad game every once in a while. Uh, I think the big thing for them is you can't let that snowball into Saturday because if they're not careful, for the Colts, have the ability to steamroll them. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is just a, a, a team that we, like, I think this is sort of what we expected coming in the season. Like, we knew that it was going to be better for the Cardinals uh, and that there would be some ups and downs, uh, you know, like the Bucks got total got blanked by the saints, you know, like nobody's, I don't think any of us are thinking like, Oh, the Bucks are in real trouble now. Like there's probably some things that got exposed in that game that need to be worked on. But like, 
in, and obviously the Bucks are led by a quarterback who's won a ton of Super Bowls and knows what he's doing. But uh, you know, like this is just it happens. The NFL is a tough league. It's uh, it's how it goes. Um, the Colts might end up being the toughest wild card draw as your number three. Uh, this is such an interesting one, man. This this team is just running the football, just having a good time, and it's working. It's, yeah, uh, uh, they've gotten so much better from the start of the season. I mean, to the point – because remember at the start, we were like, whoa, they might need yeah. to bench Carson Wentz because he might be shot. And that team that, you know, really – I mean, just to be honest, like they flat out stunk at the start, the start of the year. Uh, you know, they, they, can you imagine this team losing to the Seahawks right now or even right. the Ravens? Like – uh, this team has come a long way uh, since the start of the season. And, man, like if I'm looking at potential wild card matchups and, you know, the the uh, the Titans are going to hold on, if the, like you know, in the scenario right. where the Titans hold on to the, the AFC South uh, just because they have a lead right now, uh, I would not want to be facing this Colts team in the first round of the wild card, especially, you know, even on the road. Because, you know, it sounds cliche, but, like, they're perfectly built to kind of win one of these tough close games in January because if if Carson Wentz isn't going to be a guy that you want to lean on in the postseason, which mm, that's a fair, fair way to feel about that, oh, we'll just give it to our superstar running back. He can run behind, you know, our all-world left guard and our superstar center and, you know, our guys that tackle, too, who can just mow people off the line. Uh, it, it's just – a really fun style of football to watch. I think it's a way that can get them into the playoffs. And, you know, on the backside you have on the, I mean, on the flip side on defense, you have these guys that are making turnovers and getting big plays and causing mayhem on that side of the ball. So I, I, I kind of look at these teams and I just can't think of a team that's playing better football than the Colts right now, like comparatively to where they were at the start of the season. Like, I don't think they're uh, the best team in the league. You know, I don't, uh, I wouldn't pick them to win the Super Bowl, but I don't think that anyone should be surprised at this point if we look up and uh, they're in the AFC Championship game. I mean, just when you look at how they've played this year, just remember they got off to such a slow start and they are fifth in point differential with plus 98 on the season. Uh, this team is really good right now. I think Frank Reich deserves a ton of credit for kind of figuring out how to get this offense going after they had a slow start. And I, uh, you know, they might be one of the hottest teams in the NFL as we hit the playoffs. And I think that that turnaround job is so impressive, especially after how much fun, you know, at least I know I made of them for pulling off that Carson Wentz trade. And uh, now it's not even a question of whether or not they should keep starting him because who knows, you you hit, you hit get hot at the right time. We've seen weirder things happen in the NFL than like this Colt, a Colts team of this caliber getting to the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. I mean, really good line play uh, on both sides of the football. And it's just like that especially this year, uh, the way that this season could unfold. Like, if you have that, that's probably where you want to start, like, just in general. Uh, but I agree with your takeaway here that, that Frank Reich is proving to be one of the better coaches in the NFL, no question. He was asked today, I think Bob Kravitz from The Athletic asked him, you know, hey, uh, you're probably going to need Carson Wentz to be good uh, and to and to win a game for you, right, and be maybe the best player on offense in one of these games, right? And Frank Reich said, yeah. Uh, he said, like, we they probably will need that to happen. And uh, that's, to me, like, that's still where my doubt resides with this team. Uh, you know, I'm looking at, like, Wentz has been 
better. He's been okay. He's like the good version of Carson Wentz. Like there, there is that version of Carson Wentz in there. Uh, it's just that you never know when when Carson Wentz is going to try to push it too far and do too much. Um, he is best when he plays sort of restrained within himself. Uh, you know, he's not really tossing the ball downfield. He gets into trouble with that. He's not trying to break free and get away from sacks. Like he really has to. He, he has to want to pull his game back and manage the game a little bit more. And that's not how he plays football. That's not like the spirit of Carson Wentz. So uh, to me, that's, that's where everything is for this Colts team. Like it's, it's well-constructed. It's well-coached. There's a lot to go, to go on. It's, it's built uh, to be a team that doesn't need its quarterback to win every week, but you know, the head coach is admitting like we might need that at some point. It might come, come down to it so uh i'm anxious to see what actually happens when that game comes um all right one final uh forvert we have here this is all the rage in uh in baltimore this is you know fans are up in arms this is i guess this is what the third time that john harbaugh has opted to go for two and Therefore, uh, you know, his team has lost and they are now they went from they were the number one seed, what, four weeks ago? Is that right? Yeah. Um, and now are out of the playoffs. Oh, yeah. uh, they are the eighth. They would be the eighth seed, I think. Last yeah. Uh, yeah so this, what's that, Chuck? They keep fighting. Yeah. I mean, this team. So there, so this is here's what I like about your your take here. It's like you you went a different direction with it. Right. There's a whole lot of chatter like. Ha ha ha! We showed the analytics people like football is football, and you—if your team is—if uh, you're surging and you just take the point, you go to overtime and you show your defense that you trust it. But like yeah. you, like you know, that's a you know, like I mean, there's <laughs> maybe in August, right, but... right? Like, and also like if you don't, if you do that, then you're showing your offense that like that you don't think they can get two and a half yards. Like there, there are, you know, like you're either way you're like, that's the nature of football, right? Like you have, you're balancing between these two opposing forces, uh, the offense and the defense and which one you're going to rely on. And what you, what you write here is that like, look, Harbaugh is a good coach uh, because like he more than any other guy has been able to marry uh, listening to analytics nerds, the Ravens have an unbelievable team of nerds, right? And they yeah. have a ton of say in what happens with the football team. But Harbaugh also, like Mark Andrews was asked after the game. I, you know, I don't know if any defensive players were asked, but, I, but Mark Andrews, the tight end, was asked, like, is that the right call? And he said, like, absolutely. You go for it there. That's what you do. Um, you, you know, like we, we had the play. We could have made it. Uh, you know, we, we trust Harbaugh implicitly. And that's, I, you know, I've been here a long, I've been in Baltimore a long time. There was a period where Harbaugh came in and he was way too much of a college coach. Uh, he was just like a rah-rah, like that, you know, band of brothers, like uh, we're going to go out there and be tougher than everyone. Like, and just all this stuff that does not resonate. And he had Ed Reed and, and Ray Lewis in the locker room at the time. And those two guys just said, stop. You can't, you can't do this. Like we're not, we're not going to deal with this. And Harbaugh found a way to make it work, and they won a Super Bowl. And then he found a way to implement the uh, the, the the stats revolution. Like this guy is a really, really good football coach because he changes and he adapts and he gets his players trust. Uh, that's what I like about your take here. Yeah, I've totally well, stolen from you. 
So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's fine. I mean, it's holiday season. I'm in. I'm in the giving mood. Uh, and you know, let's get out of here with this podcast. But I guess what I wanted to say about this was, you know, you can talk about the numbers all you want. And I, I do. I will say that as, as the game went on, I do think a, a decision that you know they kind of missed was going for two when they scored a touchdown to cut the lead to one touchdown right. with uh, about five minutes left in the game. They were down 31 to 23. They kicked the field goal to make it 31 to 24. But, you know, I, 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 honestly, the way that I look at this stuff is obviously like process is very important, but it's okay to kind of look at it from a result angles too. Like you, you still at the end of the game, as bad as that, you know, fourth down decision or the, the extra point decision might've been, which I don't, I don't really think it was that bad because, like, you're still down a touchdown. And then, you know, we can also factor in the result of uh, you getting there to the end of the game and scoring another touchdown. So, like, you're still right. in a good spot no matter what happens there. Uh, and, you know, how, how could you possibly decide to take that game into overtime or, or kick the field goal there? Because – you know, because, you know, there were, you know, analytics people that I respect, like Seth Walder and Ben Baldwin saying that, oh, you know, the model says to kick the field goal there uh, because, you know, the other team is more likely to play conservative if it's a tie right. versus uh, versus a, you know, but, but if they have to come down from like down one point and need a field goal to win the game instead of take it to overtime, right? Uh, that's what they were saying. And I'm just like, Let's look at what's actually happened on the field here. Uh, the Ravens have no starting <laughs> secondary players that they thought they were going to have in this game. Uh, if you go back to their roster in August, right. literally not a single starter from that August roster was on the field for this game. I, I think even Chuck Clark was out. Uh, yeah. So I don't think have, they had any backups. I mean, like, it was just it, like they were down to like their eighth and ninth. Right. So you're talking like, about a defense missing Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Deshaun Elliott. Chuck Clark against Aaron Rodgers and a, 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 Jimmy and Smith a, didn't even play. Right. Jimmy and Jimmy Smith was out too. So like you're talking <laughs> about your top five defensive backs from the start of the season are not on the field for this game. And like the fact that we have, a, and also our offensive line banged up, we don't have our MVP quarterback. The fact that we have a chance to win this game is a miracle within itself. Uh, so, you know what, while the, while I have a chance of, I have a small, slivering moment of power with a UD a second year UDFA quarterback against Aaron Rodgers and an XFL quality secondary dude I'm going to take that every time right. like the fact that I have a chance to go for two and potentially win the game that's that's such a, a blessing to be in that spot that I don't think that you can it, like it really even matters like whether you say it's the right thing or the wrong thing to do because why would you give why like why would you not want to take the league, take the lead in that scenario when your playoff life like really depends on. Like we talked about it, how they've fallen out of the playoff race in the AFC for now. I mean, you know, one thing one thing special about the AFC playoff race is I think the fourth seed and the thirteenth seed are separated by one game. Like the only teams that are like literally out of the playoffs are the Jets, Jaguars, and Texans. Literally everybody else is in play to make a playoff spot. So, you know, those two points, they matter. And especially when you're that down and you're that defeated and you're that broken at that point in the season, I mean, uh, getting those two points is kind of a huge deal. So um, I think it just kind of goes back to like 
the human side of these decisions. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, you have to kind of be real when, you know, John Harbour even said after the game, like, I would rather take my chances there than go into overtime. And it's an honest answer, maybe one that is a little bit uh, dismissive of where the Ravens are talent-wise, but it's real. And I think that players respect be being real with them. You know, you're not likely to win a game against Aaron Rodgers in that shape uh, in the playoff. You don't want to leave it up to a coin flip. You have a chance to get two yards right now after we've marched down the field and scored 30 points for the game. Right. Let's go and try and get those two yards uh, and really save our season. I think, you know, let's say you kick it to Aaron Rodgers, right? Uh, you kick the field goal, you tie the 31, kick the ball back to the Packers. They have 40 seconds and a timeout left to drive just enough yards to kick a field goal. You don't think Aaron Rodgers can pull that off? Right. Like he's seen him do it multiple times, you know, not even multiple, like dozens, hundreds of times maybe during his career. Uh, so, you know, I, I just kind of think that, you kind of got to think about the human element of it. You got to think about what is more likely that your guys believe they can do. Right. Do you guys think it's more likely that they can get two yards and then potentially get a stop against Aaron Rodgers one time? Or do you think that you're going to kick that field goal, get a stop maybe one time against Aaron Rodgers and then potentially have to do it again? Like, I think you're just asking way too much. Try to win the game. Don't be soft. It's football. Let's go. Right. Let's score. Yeah. I mean, that's and also the Ravens. Uh, so according to Ben Baldwin's uh, running backs don't matter, uh, you know, his calculations there, the Green Bay on uh, passing that. Yeah, so any player who had at least two targets had positive EPA per play. Uh, and actually one of the guys who had one target also had almost two EPA per play. So like the Ravens were not stopping anyone. The Ravens had two, uh, I think three wide receivers with positive uh, EPA per play. One of them was Mark Andrews, who was at 1.08. So you're tight end. Like, you have the guy to make that catch. And that's all you really have working for you this game. Like that, Mark Andrews was everything for this team. Uh, as he, like, I mean, he carried the offense and the defense was just hanging on. Uh, so like it was, you know, this was the right choice in so many different ways, uh, no matter what angle you look at it from. Uh, all right. That's all we got for this week, I think. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be back this week. It's Christmas time. Everybody's oh, no, just, no. Oh, Go, nope. go spend You've heard it here. You've family. heard it here first. We will not be back this week. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, you know. I don't, Come on, don't, don't listen to a podcast on the holidays. Go yeah. kick it with your family. Yeah. Good. And if not, you know, kick it online with your homies on video games or Twitter or whatever. Right. Right. You watch some. Be- watch some bowl games that are being no, sponsored. No, don't, by- don't watch those bowl games. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Before we get out of here, Chris, were you aware that there's a Jimmy Kimmel Bowl? <laughs> I think I remember seeing that uh, that that had happened. Yeah, a Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. <laughs> Utah oh. State defeats Oregon State in the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl. Bowl bowl games are so sad too. I don't think people really realize that. Like the, co- the college players are fine with it. Like they're going, you know, they're generally somewhere nice. But like, there's no fans there. It's all like this corporate. There's all this like corporate that nobody like nobody attends, nobody cares. Uh, it's they're really strange, man. Yeah, uh, so I'm just gonna read through some of the uh, some of the uh, upcoming bowl games right before we get out of here. Uh, <laughs> on Tuesday, you have the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, <laughs> famous. followed followed by the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. <laughs> on Wednesday, you have the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. <laughs> Thursday, you have the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl, 
Friday, the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl. Saturday, on Christmas, the Tax Act Camellia Bowl. And then Monday, to wrap up the Christmas weekend, you have the Quick Lane Bowl and the Military Bowl presented by Paraton. Uh, what uh, is this stuff? Why Why does Lockheed Martin need to sponsor a bowl? Like, I don't know. Lockheed Martin just has like these contracts with the government and then buys off all the politicians to keep putting money into the uh, military. Like what is lot like, I guess it's just PR like so that we, we miss the fact that this is all happening. I don't even Yeah. Know. Oh. And then uh, mark your calendars for uh, Friday, December 31st, New Year's Eve, because at the same time at 2 PM, you'll have Washington state versus Miami in the Tony, the tiger sun bowl. And you'll have central Michigan versus Boise state in the barstool sports, Arizona bowl. And with uh, that, I wish you a Merry Christmas. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Miami's just not even gonna have a football coach. Or I don't even know. Is is what's his name coaching? Or he's just hanging Yeah, out. he cares. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. All right, everybody. Uh have a good holiday season. Yeah. Chuck and I will be back I, I hope- when we feel like coming back. Whenever yeah, we'll be back when we feel like coming back. Don't let the power of capitalism drown you this holiday season like we just did with all those uh bullshit sponsors <laughs> adios we, we need a sponsor later everybody the counter an nfl podcast from usa today sports <laughs>